Thank you for listening to Tex-Mex at the Northern Border. We'd like to thank Anchor for giving us a platform to spread the love of Jesus. Hello. Here it is. My first podcast. This is Amanda Mendoza Hawkins, the Tex-Mex at the Northern Border. Uh, coming to you from Michigan and uh, loving life. All glory and victory is given to God and Jesus for getting me here to this point. You may be asking, what is a Tex-Mex? And uh, it's, I would say it's a Texan and a Mexican, but uh, my dad's a Mexican descent, Texan, meaning we go back many generations. And so I've always just kind of been known and called myself that. And I'm 37 years old. I'm a mother of three. I've been married almost three, 13 years coming up October 6th to my sweet, amazing husband, Timothy Hawkins. Hello. <laughs> He's with us tonight. He's helping me produce all of this as he is the master behind all the equipment. Um, he is the best birthday present God has ever given me. He uh, came into my life at a time where I was at a crossroads of being in trouble with the law. <laughs> like Billy the Kid at 19 years old. Um, just I was just walking around with a chip on my shoulder and got into some trouble that bled into my 20s a little bit. And we went out on my first, uh, our first date was my 21st birthday. And we've been together ever since. Yep. And he's truly the love of my life. And like I said, the best birthday <laughs> well, present I've ever ever received from God. And lucky to have each other. Or blessed to have each other. Very blessed. <laughs> Very blessed. Well, let's see. I was born and raised in uh, Fort Worth, Arlington, Texas. I was born in 83. And uh, I was born to my parents who were married at 19 and had me at 23 and uh they are the tex-mex the blondie i guess if you wanted to go to a western music uh movie the good and the bad the ugly it'd be the blondie and the mexican because my mom is blonde and my dad is mexican like i said so and uh a western (laughs) a western reference right but yeah, so what you always call yourself a half breed because she's white and your and your dad was Mexican. Yeah, so. yeah, he used we used to always just say that when we were kids. Everybody said that. Yep. Everybody. Growing up in Texas, I remember the first time I actually said that here at a mom's group night out, uh, and they asked me like just something what I was saying. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm a half breed. And one of the girls leaned over to another mom and she's like, what's a half breed? And they were like a mixed race individual. <laughs> Cause you know, the culture that we're in today, I just, I'm not ever going to fit that. If you're going to listen to this and be offended by words or culture words or anything like that, you may want to just go ahead and turn it off. Now. <laughs> Cause uh, we're, I'm going to talk about life and, family and walking as a non-believer and living with a chip on my shoulder and getting married at a young age and possibly nearly losing that. 
because I didn't understand or know what I had. We both were just kind of just walking around like, whatever. <laughs> and just right. in life. I mean, we were always together, but it was just, you know, just... You do what the world says. Hey, you get a career, you get married, you buy the house, you have the car, and then you look at it and you're like, "What career? I'm making twenty thousand or less a year. I'm, you know, slaving over here, not making anything, and I'm, you know." Yep, lost, lost souls. Yeah, living with debt up to your eyeballs, not making enough money on he- how to pay it, getting stressed out, having that pour into other avenues of your life, and then if you're not a non-believer. And then how I was raised, my dad was a very tough individual, and he's not, uh, he calls himself non-religious, but he really doesn't believe in God, per se, and, and you know, he was just always, everything comes from between your ears, you know, what you make of life is what you make out of it, everything comes from your own understanding, um, you know, you're going to have to work somewhere for decades before you even get close to making money. I mean, this was just the man, you just work hard, work hard, work hard, be a good person, family. And that I tried to do that throughout my entire 20s and could not start a family. We couldn't get pregnant. We never were on birth control or anything. And just, no, it was never, it wasn't happening. Tried for eight years. Yeah. Well, that was eight years of marriage. Yeah, but we were active before then, and we dated for three years before. So really, almost yeah, a full decade. We, we pulled the goal, the goalie, and you know, for eight years we tried. Yeah. Yeah. We weren't trying before then. And we took steps That's to right. protect. That's right. But once we got married, yeah, I mean, nothing, you know. Yep. So. That's right. But that's really just what this podcast is it was just uh it's really a testimony i want to use it to bring on guests i want to use it to share the love of jesus you know my journey through uh the past seven years since i gave it to god uh when i was 30 years old and how he instantly changed my life i mean instantly the next day from get that surrender and starting to get that feeling of come follow me come follow me i'm gonna give you something new just trust me have faith you don't know the word you don't go to church you haven't been to church in over a decade you never even went to church on christmas eve but you know what trust me because when i went on my knees and asked him for uh for family, for children. I said, I'm, I'm surrendering to you. I don't know who you are, God. I don't know who your son is, Jesus. I don't really know much about it. I know from going to, going to church as a little kid until I was around seven or eight. And then I went, uh, you know, for a little bit in junior high with friends because I grew up in Texas, of course, so everybody goes to church with friends and you have a good time, but you're not really in the moment of getting close to God, or at least I wasn't, I was, I felt like I wanted to, but then quickly was abruptly moved at 15 from Texas to Virginia. And that was a huge, um, change for me. I went from going to school of 200 and something in a graduating class to going to school with, I think we had over 900 or around 900, a graduating class at the school I went to. I went to a school in Texas and grew up around people that, you know, lived in three bedroom, two bath houses, you know, 
hey, the luxury was if you had a built-in swimming pool because it's hot as a beast there. <laughs> and then I get to Virginia, and the first six weeks or couple of months, I'm uh, picked up by a kid that picked me up in a Rolls Royce, an old, and it was older. It, you know, it was it was like yeah. 15 years old, but it was still it was still a Rolls Royce. And yeah. I'd never even seen one of those in, in person until... You went to the Richie Rich High School. <laughs> yeah, so. in Virginia. And that was the last two years of my high school. So basically, I moved, you know... You grew up most of your life with a, in a trailer park, right? Or Until no. I was seven. Yeah. Till I was seven, I lived in a trailer. And it, you know, it was a nice upbringing. It was a little weird, because in the first uh, park that we were at, there was like these little gang members that would walk around. <laughs> they had mohawks and stuff, and they would break into trailers and bust them up and spray paint all over the walls and stuff so i was kind of scared of that because yeah, my no. parents definitely made it made it very clear that him being mexican and her being white with blonde hair even though he didn't speak spanish even though that you know he was american and he is american we're all american in and out you're, you're, generation yeah. I mean, we're your generations go back all the way before uh, Texas became a, a state, right? Yeah. So, yeah. like, basically, uh, know, like all my family on both go sides farther back than you know some white people in the country that who had generations on far back. So, yeah, I mean, we we go back to people being buried in te- in Fort Worth yeah. over 120 <laughs> years. So when people are telling you, so. you know, go back to your country, you're like. This is my country. <laughs> <laughs> like our, your generations go back a lot farther than theirs, you know, and they yeah. don't even realize it. Oh well, yeah, I was just raised by tough people. I mean, my parents are still together. They got—I mean, think about that. They—they they graduated steel, in high school, yeah. got married in 1980. That you know, they graduated in 78, got married in 1980, had me in 83, and you know, just been hardworking people ever since. And they. Um, have been very blessed. Yeah, I mean, your dad was a steel man, right? Started Still a out steel man, digging yeah. Digging coal, right? Wasn't that one? Of he started off at the very bottom, and then he, you know, now he's, you know, one of the at top the top, guys. one of the top yeah. guys. I mean, you know, he's a, definitely a contributor, a very hardworking man. Yep. Management, you know. Yep. Just been blessed. You know, I had a stay at home <laughs> mom. Things were always tight. You know, they had a lot of debt when when we moved to Virginia. I think that's when they took the big the big gamble of you know making that move. Get the big job or whatever. Yeah, you take those risks like we did. Yeah. Right. We but we didn't really go for money when. See what happened was is we got married in '07 and you know man those first five years were rough. Yep, and basically um, living dirt poor. Um, if it wouldn't have been for your parents paying our mortgage yep they had to pay the mortgage for what almost three years yeah (laughs) that was a blessing though but that was hard yeah because we felt guilty yeah what we can do about it it just wasn't none of us were getting the raises and i know you were a real estate agent at the time and you know and working as a server you know, you were making anything from sixty thousand dollars a year from to nine thousand dollars a year so but i that didn't come until later on yeah before that, it was like twenty, twenty-five, <laughs> you know, twenty-six, fifteen, <laughs> one year. Yeah. That very first year. So, yeah, I wasn't making much. I was around, you know, below thirty thousand, and you know, 
is scratching and clawing to work my way up. So, but you know, maybe that's for another Did, conversation. Yeah, but. yeah. But that was hard, you know, being under a financial pressure like that. Yeah, I mean, our credit card debt was going up. I mean, any, I mean, we're probably like. It's probably any typical American family, you know, young family like us when you're trying to start out, you know. You yep. Because you just don't know because this country tells you to buy everything. Buy, 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 buy this, buy that, buy this, buy that. You need this, you need that, you know, and you don't. And, you know, you go up in credit card debt, you know, go take a vacation. You deserve it. And you're like, this is going to cost two grand. Yeah. <laughs> Do it anyway. <laughs> we, we have no you money. Know. I know. Like, I don't know why I'm signing on to this, but okay. But, you know, scratch and claw your way up. That seems to be the American way right now. And that's starting to kind of fade away itself. But the real thing to hold on to is maybe it needs to fade away so then we can hold closer to God and Jesus. Mm -hmm. I mean, this desire of constantly trying to fulfill ourselves with stuff. Boy, was I one of them. You know, selling, trying to get into real estate, wanting to be around people that made money. It wasn't happening. I was trying to mimic everything they did, you know. You know, you just, you get caught up in just work, 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 work. And you're, and then you look and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing anything but chasing a paycheck. And it's getting me nowhere, you know. Yeah. I remember, you know. We just were getting to the point, well, maybe we should try to have kids. The marriage wasn't great. It was definitely getting better. You know, we were starting to we were starting to make money at that point. We had been paying the bills ourselves for years now. We were still not making any money and living in debt, but we were still you right. know, we were we were at least on the same page where we we're, you know, getting along and like, Okay, we're gonna get yeah. through this and then when the kid thing wasn't happening, that was that was hard. Yeah, I mean, through the time, you know, I mean, you're, you know, you're trying to make it happen and, you know, it's not happening. You're like, what's going on? It's, you know, we've been doing this for years and nothing, not even one time, you know, you know, something. <laughs> you know, at the time for the first few years, it was kind of rough because, you know, God rest your soul of your mom, um, but she was tough on me for years. And I just thought, man, if I can't get pregnant, if this is me, this is going to be bad. Like, I just thought, yeah. oh, man, like, they're going to so, they're I mean, gonna want him to leave me. So, try to help <laughs> people understand. Just, you, know, you know, we started, you know, we st when we pulled the goalie, you know, you know, wh how long you probably, you know, it's probably eight years, right? Because I think we yeah. started in early 20s. Yeah. I or wasn't like, on birth I, control. I, think I, was, like, I was never. I've never been on birth control. Maybe since I was twenty five. I don't. I don't know. Um, no, maybe not. Maybe I was more like twenty seven or twenty eight. Yeah, because I was twenty four when we got married. Yeah. So. So when I was yeah. thirty, you were thirty four. Yeah. But before then, we started trying to get pregnant, you know, and nothing was happening, and then we went. To a fertility doctor. Finally, after getting and, in and doing it. And that's when they said it was pretty much Tim, you know.
But then they were like, of but course, of course, at we're going to give you a bunch of medicine. You know, they told me. So we're no, gonna... they, of course, the first thing that, you know, you know, the man, you know, the world tells you is the woman, you know, that's just kind of how it is. So, of course, they checked the woman out first. Right. Yeah. And they kept so doing they all the stuff all the stuff. They, they put you, I think they put you on medicine first, the Clomid or whatever. Right. Just to see if something would happen. And yeah. It, and it, it was wasn't just happening. Experiment. I mean, I was ovulating. There was nothing wrong with me. And, all of a sudden, and then overnight, the time you were... I gained 60 pounds Right. that I've basically held for So you, you know, also like six years, kind of take it back years. too and just think about the depression, you know, filling your, the void with drinking and going out and partying all the time and, you know, trying to, you know, fill your life with stuff. I mean, we were out drinking during the week. You know, oh, yeah. Richmond, Virginia is a fun place to go out to go to bars. I mean, and that just, was. You know, we were gaining we weight, you know, probably at the heaviest of my life, probably then. I was probably like 227 pounds when I should be something like, you know, 165, 170, perfect health. You know, I mean, we were, you know, not getting sleep, you know, burning yeah. the candle at both just, ends. Yeah, just, and and the most important thing, the the biggest thing missing, a zero relationship with God. <laughs> yeah, a zero relationship with Jesus. And she didn't then, mean to hit the mic. That was an accident. In case you got blown up in your car. <laughs> and that was what was really missing. Right. And once I surrendered and was like, and I didn't even know what I was surrendering to. I mean. You know, after the fertility treatments for a whole year and nothing was going on. And then you, you know, then they finally, I started, I, you know, made you go to that urologist and they come to find out your sperm was extremely low. That was a blow that, that yeah. I went through all of end, those months to take right, all that medicine. You were fine. And then, you know, later on we find out it was me, extremely low testosterone extremely low sperm count extremely low everything everything that could go wrong went wrong basically and then i was just engulfed with rage you yeah know, i just i felt like she hulk you know I was right. just angry all the time because i was pumped with that clomid i yeah. gained all this weight then to come find out it was you and i was like already you and, you know, I've, <laughs> and if I, I don't know if i shared this in the very beginning but i'm someone that i've dealt with anger my entire life, yeah. you know, because of an incident that happened as a child that just just sparked a, just a trigger in me that whenever I get angry, I would just yell. So a lot of times I would get violent, you know, when I was a kid and younger, <clears throat> you know, my teens. So yeah. to deal, you know, to go through that and I was just like, wow, I need yeah. I need to change because whatever I'm doing, I just feel like I'm on this roller coaster that won't stop. I mean, you go through the tunnel where you're trying to get through. Okay, I'm going to get off. You know, it's going to stop. The bars yeah. come up and you, you think you're going to get off. No, but it just kept rolling through there. You know, that's it. Would, sometimes I felt like it would slow down. Like, okay, am I going to get off? Nope. It just kept going. Or, or there was a few years where I felt like, okay, I'm not doing anything too bad. But I'm just sitting here. This bar won't come up. You know, they like you know how sometimes you're on a roller coaster and you come in through the slot and you think that you're gonna get off the ride and then the bar doesn't come up and then you're you're stuck. You're like, uh, I can't get right. out of here. No. And then and then it just takes off again. You know. And your biggest Achilles heel was anger and rage. 
that was the biggest thing you probably deal with that and blaming others yeah you know and not taking responsibility for my own behavior as well so basically i want to rip my head off because the whole time you know you know i I don't know if it's necessarily me it was just us but i just think the world always tells you like it's the woman go check her out it's got to be her you know can't be the man because i just think at the time really around you know when we found out i don't think there was any commercials out about low low testosterone or anything um you know they weren't really telling you that it could happen you know no (laughs) and you know now every day you you see a commercial about low testosterone you know oh that's because america is basically a corporation now but you (laughs) you know so anyways you know, we come to find out, you know, my, my sperm count's super low, my testosterone's super low, like, like below scary levels, even to the point where the doctor was like, this, you should definitely pay attention to this because this sometimes becomes cancer. You know, that's how serious it was. But anyways. Yeah, I mean, that definitely so. got to the point where it was almost like you, you hit a breaking point, right? Like God's like, when are you going to surrender? You know, because we could have went right past that and said, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. And you don't go to the doctor and I stopped taking this medicine and we could, who knows where that road could have gone. Right. But we didn't. Or, and like then, m- most people, you know, maybe most marriages, maybe we would have gotten a divorce and moved on. Yep. So it would have been too much stress. So and that's I remember the other I, thing that's yeah. like kind of amazing about our marriage. I mean, maybe another podcast, we can go more in depth about it, but the fact that we're still together in probably a lot of people's eyes is probably amazing you know? mm. because all of what we went through a lot of people probably would have yeah said you know enough of this yeah i mean we we for a whole year we put ourselves through rigorous stuff you know i was taking the medicine gaining the weight and then i called the urologist and yelled at him and <laughs> forced him to basically cut that varicose vein that they said that might be warming up your testicles yeah so basically you know one of the surgeries you can have is they can actually take take a vein out um on one side of your testicle and it could improve your sperm count so yeah because uh, i think it was uh so i had the surgery march it was actually saint patrick's day it was saint patrick's day uh, turns out it wasn't a very lucky day for me yeah but uh yeah i mean you know, they did the surgery and put me on Clomid and didn't still, you know, nothing, you know, still nothing was happening. Nope. So, so then after that, I just got on my knees. I think it was that April right around my birthday of 2014 and he left and I, you know, got on my knees and gave it to God. I said, I don't know if you're real, but I will follow you and I will do whatever you want. If you give me a family and I will raise them in the word and i didn't even know what the word was at the time i was just like you didn't even know what you were saying i had no idea i just was like i will i had the bible sitting in front of me my childhood bible with the two candles with the windows open and you had just left for work at like two in the afternoon the holy spirit guiding you to what to say or something you know and that huge wind just gusts through the through the windows and then the next day I'd gotten a call was like, hey, maybe you should move to Texas. From your brother. You know, mammals in the nursing home now. Maybe you can move in and help take care of her. And I just remember Tim always telling me that he needed to be 
in a bigger city to make more money. Bigger market. So yeah. I was like, okay, well, we'll do that. And we were already planning on going to Texas to visit family because she, like I said, she just went in the nursing home at a hundred years old. My mamaw Ruby, the great mamaw Ruby, and uh, so we go there. And but before we left, I, I asked Tim. We talked about that weekend, and you were like, "Well, maybe we have a state, you know, a station there." And so you called your boss, and they were like, "Yeah." So, so they like, called the other person, and they were like. Yeah, we'll interview him. So we put it was that we go to Texas as we had planned, and we get there, and we go to my grandpa Frank's, and we all just jump in the truck with my grandpa Frank as he wanted to see. You know, he wanted to go to Dallas and just see where this place was. So we get there, and we drop him off. <clears throat> and Tim's like, "Yeah, the guy's like, yeah, this isn't like an interview. This is basically like an orientation type thing. Like we want, yeah, we want you here. This is definitely a transfer move. So it was just a blessing that it was a transfer into right there into right. the market where we had a free house to live and so much hope. I mean, I was just in awe because and we like weren't just, making a lot of money. We weren't going to make a lot of money. We didn't make a lot of money there. I mean, everyone knows how hard it is to get a job. And to, I mean, to make a national move I just move feel like, like you always have to know somebody to get a job. I never feel like, you know, you send a resume out, you get it. I, I really feel like you have to know somebody. So it's really hard to get a job. And, you know, for it to work out so easily, in my eyes, it's just like Jesus just made it happen, you know? Mm-hmm. So. I mean, it was, and then, boom, literally six weeks later, we go back to tech, we go back to Virginia from Texas from that visit, that one week of just hanging out there and then you having that interview. And then six weeks later, we were packing up the moving van (laughs) and did a three-day drive from Virginia to Texas. Yep. And when we got there, that house had not been updated since the Nixon administration. (laughs) And it had just... We had to tear up the carpet and do all kinds of stuff just to make it... fix stuff, repair stuff. There was like cockroach poop in the closets it was because there were water leaks underneath the house in the crawl space it was there was cockroach poop everywhere it It was was really disgusting it was bad so we spent all week getting like that house livable basically (laughs) taking everything out painting stuff putting our stuff in i mean it was we worked all day and night yeah ripped the carpet out i I think we painted some of the walls we painted in every room, I think. Some of the stuff still had yeah. those panels for, you know, you yep. they have panels that instead of wallpaper or yep. drywall, they still had panels up yep. for walls. And it was, uh, it was a small little rancher, probably. What yeah. was it, three bedroom or two bedroom? You know? um, it was three bedrooms and yeah, a living room. With they just a had, small they kitchen. turned one bedroom into a living room. That's yeah. Right. Yep. And it but was anyways, one and a half baths. We got there and then. Yeah, so we get there and we, May, like the end of May of 2014. And you called Dr. Knackley? Yeah, so I started looking around, and we let the summer go by, and I'd, fi- I'd found a job, and uh, I found a doctor in August that was 15 minutes away from the house. It was yeah. on the highway for you to go to work, and it was in the direction you know where I worked, so yeah. it worked out perfectly. Instead of in Virginia, there was only literally two doctors to choose from, and one of them wasn't even taking patients, and then everyone else was two hours away. 
and that just wasn't going to work. And then, so when we get to Texas, boom, you know, I, I feel like I'm led to this doctor and we get there and she does blood work and she looks at me, she goes, you're fine. Everything's good. She, and then she looked at him she's like low testosterone and put him on Clomid, put him on Clomid. So he would naturally make testosterone. So it would make everything go up in his body. And then she told him specifically that if you take this and stop, your testosterone is going to drop dramatically. And so then every time that you want to get pregnant, you're going to have to be on this medicine for it to happen. I mean, she distinctly said that. Yeah, she basically said that, like, you know, I was never going to have a normal, natural sperm level, testosterone level. I always have to take medicine. And not only will I have to take it, I I need to take it because I could literally get cancer, you know? So she, right. So it was not only a fertility thing, but it was a health, right. a health choice. But you only took it for three months. That was the thing. Yeah, she said it would take about three months. And then by the third month, your sperm count should go up normal. It should help the speed and the shape of the sperm because... Not only do you need, I think it's 20 million sperm per calendar or whatever it, what yeah. it was, but you but also, you also need needed to have the, the speed yep. and the shape, which means like they've got to look like arrowheads, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then you got to have the speed. They got to be quick. Yep. And um, so, and as she said, it would take about three months. And I think within those three months, I, I think, I think by then, I think everything was looking pretty good. Like yeah. most of the shape. So the, f- the first month that she tested, it was 80, 80, 80%, yeah. which was really good. And we, and that was the first month that we tried and, and it didn't work. But then the next month when your numbers were a hundred across the board, you know, they were where they needed to be perfectly for shape and speed and count. She got us pregnant. You know, God got us pregnant. Use Dr. Knackley as a tool. You know, this is very important. God used, and I knew this at the time, I said, God used Dr. Knackley as a tool to get me pregnant. Right. Because you know, we did the just the simple insemination where you, you dropped off the boys at the place. They spun it real quick, put it in a little turkey it. baster, and and we went in there, and they, she put it in, and we, we watched it. it on we the, did. I'll never forget that, because it was so powerful. But we also did it more than once, because the first or second time that was the work. second time that was the second time working and that was in december of 2014 and that was the first christmas we spent in texas and that was we did that on the 19th and then my parents came in a couple of days later and then there was christmas on the 25th yeah. and then i remember getting the call from dr knackley's office on new year's eve day i was at work and she said that my early blood test came back positive and that I was pregnant because they, you know, right afterwards, I think like 10 or 12 days later, I had gone in for a blood test because they wanted to see where I was at to see if I needed to get prep myself to go for another cycle, you know, which, you know, for me really wasn't much. I, they weren't extracting eggs and I wasn't taking any hormones or anything like that. But it was just like, okay, we're going to count these days and these are your fertile. And it was right. just a whole plan, you know, remember it was a whole plan. And it was yeah. more stuff for Tim to do than me, hmm. you know. And so, um, but we needed everything to come together. 
Yeah, because even like cleaning the sperm for the artificial insemination and all that, it helps the sperm out a lot more too. It helps them be able to move quicker and everything and get into the uterus faster. Yeah, it was it, it was amazing. And then, you know, that whole pregnancy, it was rough because I was already overweight when I got pregnant. So they told me that I really couldn't gain any weight. So I had to start working out, which I was not working out. And I was eating Texas food, which is extremely Amazing. hard to be healthy on. <laughs> Every street corner I, has I mean, like it's just like, hey, come get barbecue tacos. And then they're like, taco, what kind of taco? Taco, casa, taco. <laughs> you know, taco bueno, taco whatever. I mean, you know, they Taco Bell. Like, no There's one eats barbecue. Taco Bell in Texas, oh, but they man. have barbecue places. Everybody had a small barbecue joint, and every single one of them was awesome. The brisket. I mean, like, man, there's no... If you live in Texas, there's... I mean, to be skinny, I mean, God, I mean, you, like, really have to work at it. You're going to have to pray every, every day. Every is just, like, gr- great food, and it's... <laughs> Not expensive. I mean, but then man. you walk out and it's triple digit heat, yeah. and you know when you're overweight you start sweating, and then I because I was uh, I uh, like I almost it was like 189 pounds when I got pregnant. So I, when I gave birth, that was 214. I literally couldn't gain any weight, and I was working out, and it was hot. It was just hot, and, and they, you know, like, and I had that gestational diabetes, diabetes that I had to control with diet. And I had to, oh, it was just really hard. Yeah. And, um, but what a beautiful birth because Katerina came into this world on August 30th, just the six pounds that she was. And that was so, that was such a good, good day. You know, we went and we went to go take baby pictures, baby bump pictures on the Trinity River. Yeah. And we had those cowboys behind us you know just riding cowboys, cowboys and just riding horses riding. and then walking back up the hill my uh <laughs> mucus was. plug loosens up and i just think it's you know leg fat leg sweat because <laughs> everybody has leg sweat when you walk around in texas and then we go eat barbecue at angelo's which is like a hundred year old barbecue place in fort worth that my parents actually had their rehearsal dinner at just another like amazing place to eat food (laughs) oh amazing and they have cool bears like real bears shot at the front that are stuffed real cool and uh and then i'm like after eating i'm like huh maybe i should go to the bathroom and check that out and then i came to him i'm like i think my water broke and the old really old people behind me were like they looked all excited like drama (laughs) <laughs> you know, and Tip's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my god, and he's like jumping up all panicking. Yeah. I'm like, calm down. <laughs> I'm just gonna drive home. And Everything's pick up the gonna be fine. Because you're we, always thinking the movies, like you're you're rushing to the hospital and you have like ten seconds before you give birth, but it's not like that at all. No, no. And then I, you know, went home and left a message with the on-call doctor. Got the bag, went to the hospital, and I looked like a. Tex-Mex Kardashian with my hair done, I had cowboy boots on, I had a put full all your ensemble stuff, on. I mean, there the were pictures. women in there pushing in the afternoon. They look out the out the door pushing, and they're like, "What the hell is this girl walking down the hallway? <laughs> like she's going into glamour shots or something? Like it's like pregnant Dallas cowboy cheer, cheerleader it just came co- out you know, of glamour shots one on one or something? You know, it was nuts. 
I looked fabulous. I love that baby so much. She came out and I looked awesome. <laughs> Those uh, first hair pictures. was done. Oh, makeup. It was, yeah, it was, was glorious. Done. And she came out looking perfect. Yeah. And that was all glory given to God. I mean, that was like the first promise that he gave. I mean, he said, when I was like, I will follow you anywhere. I don't know what I'm doing or who you are, <laughs> who your son is, but I will trust you. And he, you know, the next day he was like, follow me. And then in boom, I get pregnant by the end of that year. Yeah. Right. I mean, everything aligns with his birthday. And then I find out on the last day of the year, I'm pregnant. I mean, talk about a promise kept, you know, and then yeah. she comes, uh, on 30, 38 weeks, healthy, healthy delivery. Well, I only pushed for seven minutes Yeah, and that was it. And, and uh, it was awesome. It was right yeah. there in Fort Worth at Harris Hospital, connected to Cooks. You know, I mean, just like you know, that. such a blessing. It was, it was such a blessing. And from th- and from that point on, it was just nothing but just keep walking and walking and walking. And that's what this podcast is going to be about. I'm going to go ahead and end it end it there. Because there's so many more blessings to go through. And we'll talk about and growth. We'll talk about our next two daughters too, probably in in a podcast because they in themselves are a miracle. I mean, you're, I mean, Gabriella's birth is amazing, and, it, and you know, obviously our last baby about. was literally born April twenty first, twenty twenty, during COVID, at during home, during all this stuff, during a pandemic. Plant we we at the end we were like okay we're gonna do this at home and it was just me tim and my home girl trish and she after nurses i asked nurses to come help me and they felt nervous and i just called this my friend out this woman up and i was just like you ready to cowgirl up you want to come catch this kid when she comes out and she was the only one that said yes and it was the best thing i'm so glad that she said yes she is not only um a rock but she is so sweet, and she just sat there until the very end, until she popped up on that bed like a cat. But we'll but that's, talk more about that. That's what so. this podcast is about, is testimonies to God and trusting and faith. So I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, this is Amanda Mendoza Hawkins with me and my husband, Tim Hawkins, and this is the Tex-Mex at the northern border. God bless your family. God bless your health. God bless this country. Amen. Amen.